Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. By now, at least by the time you listen to this or watch this, it will be, I think, 26th of December, or perhaps a little later if you're watching or listening after that. So it's a little late for me to wish you a Merry Christmas, but that's the main aim of this podcast. Merry Christmas to you all. Um, and I want to particularly thank at this time of year the three guys who behind the scenes have been doing all the legwork. I've mentioned them once or twice before and regular listeners will be familiar with and will no doubt be very grateful to. Uh, Mrs. Jean Franklin, Nate Hansen and Jared Gerth. Thank you gentlemen from me for all of the work you have done over the last 12 months to put this podcast together behind the scenes, all the tech stuff, all the video editing, all the audio fiddling, all of the uh, uploading to YouTube and clipping and cutting for the podcast and managing that. I'm very grateful to you and I know that I speak on behalf of regular listeners and viewers when I say thank you to you guys. Really appreciate you. And I also wanted to uh, give you regular listeners something a little bit by way of Christmas present. I know it's belated and I know it's not really a present, but um, I came across something uh, recently which made me smile and I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, I think it would be encouraging to you actually. Um, and uh, anyway, I'll just jump straight in and I'll, I'll tell you what it is. The reason it, it uh, one of the reasons it attracted my attention was that it draws on not just um, theology and biblical studies, which is what I spend a fair amount of my time now doing, but also some aspects of the physical sciences, which uh, some of you who know me a little bit uh, will know uh, I used to spend a lot of my time doing. Back in the day, I, I was um, a physicist and that's what my doctoral work was in. And, and so when I see things in the physical sciences that impinge on um, biblical teaching, or in this case, biblical history, it sparks my attention and my interest. And basically, I'll cut to the chase and then I'll jump into the details and see if I can explain the complexities of some of the physics in a way that hopefully everybody will be able to understand. Basically, what's happened, once again, a careful modern scientific study has confirmed the truth of the historical events, or in this case, one cluster of historical events described in the scripture, when for many decades or even centuries, those particular historical events were questioned or even denied. So let me explain a bit of the background here. Um, just on the history stuff, uh, if you've read any uh, commentaries or uh, history, historical material that, that discusses New Testament and Old Testament history, uh, you will know that it is just routine for the biblical histories to be questioned by uh, scholars in the mainstream academy. That's even true, actually, in the Christian academy in some corners, um, unfortunately, professing Christians who don't seem to uh, regard the, the biblical history as, histories as truthful. And more or less, the further back you go, the more skepticism gets heaped upon these narratives. So back in the patriarchal period in the book of Genesis, I mean, it's, it's very... Uh, common to find those uh, narratives dismissed as more or less myths and then but even if you come later the exodus period the conquest of the land of Canaan uh, the, the monarchy you're getting to about 1000 BC now um, there's a little less skepticism about some of the big details but even then and thereafter during the history of Israel under the monarchy and then the divided monarchy uh, you've got a widespread skepticism about the historical narratives in the uh, scriptures and then even in the New Testament you, it's quite common to find people um, uh, dismissing or at least displaying high levels of skepticism about the historical narratives in the Gospels and the Book of Acts and elsewhere in the New Testament. And to be honest, it's difficult to know what to make of this. I mean, I've got a, a couple of thoughts. The first is there is this um, sense of 
suspicion towards any religious or ideological literature. It seems to me very strange that this should be the case, because in, in one sense, all writings have some kind of ideology that's driving them. But there's uh, an assumption, I think, that a, a text like the Bible that has a particular ideology or religious outlook that it's trying to uh, inculcate in its readers cannot therefore be objectively historically true in the historical claims it makes. And I think, well, why not? There's no good reason at all why that shouldn't be the case. But that seems to be the prevailing assumption. Perhaps also there is a sneaking subconscious suspicion in the minds of some critics that, well, if they were to take uh, as seriously as um, uh, evangelical and reformed readers of scripture do, the historical claims of scripture, they might have to take seriously as ideological claims as well. And I, I wonder whether that operates subconsciously so that people, are, mm, this wouldn't be quite fair, but, in, but almost looking for reasons to dismiss the historical uh, material in the scriptures because they know that if uh, they were to take it seriously eventually you get the historical material describing the miracles of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead and what are you going to do about that if you take that seriously you have to actually start believing in Jesus or something and I don't know maybe that's part of what goes on behind the scenes I think there are good theological reasons to think that but be that as it may what that means is when you look through the vast swathes of historical material especially in the Old Testament the Bible makes historical claims which are routinely challenged or at least held in suspicion by the mainstream historical and archaeological and biblical studies academies. And it's almost as though they're, at best, what happens is that they are, uh, the Bible's narratives are viewed as, well, we can't believe or deny this unless we get confirmatory evidence from outside the scripture, which again seems to me strange. Why doesn't scripture itself count as evidence? But anyway, uh, and then what happens is people look for evidence and don't find it and assume that the absence of evidence means that, well, we found nothing to confirm these narratives. We can reject them. And, and what has happened in the article that I came across is that um, some really quite novel uh, but exciting scientific work has been done which turns out to confirm the historical dates for the destruction of a number of cities uh, in Canaan, uh, the cities of um, Gath, and I'll look up where the, the details. Um, Gath is one of the cities. Um, Tel, Tel Rehov, Horvath Tevel, Tel Zayit, and Gath are the cities. And these cities um, uh, seem to have been destroyed round about 702 BC by Hazael, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus. Now, he's mentioned in uh, 2 Kings 8.12. Uh, the specific campaigns are not mentioned, but the destruction that he wrought is mentioned. And it's the kind of thing which uh, skeptics would have thought, well, we can't really trust this, until you turn up um, evidence which shows that maybe we can. And the evidence that has been found is really interesting. I want to explain how the work is done. Basically, what it allows, um, oh, I wish we start. Um, let's start with the question. Let's imagine that you found um, the ruins of an ancient city and you wanted to determine when the city was destroyed. That would be equivalent to dating the battle in which it was destroyed, which would allow you to then say, well, yes, this confirms the biblical picture or no, it doesn't. So how could you determine the date of the destruction of a city? Well, there are a number of ways that people might try. One way is that they might say, well, uh, 
you can dig down through the layers of archaeological rubble and try and determine what layer or stratum the uh, debris that you're looking at uh, was found in. Roughly speaking, what happens over time is that cities get destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt. And when they're rebuilt, they're rebuilt over the ruins of the previous one. So you build up these layers over time. So the further down you dig, the further back in time you're going. Well, that would then allow you to date the artifacts that you found in relation to other events. It wouldn't allow you so easily to date them absolutely. You'd be able to say it was before such and such a thing or after such and such another thing. But again, you wouldn't be able to date them to a specific year or decade. Well, that gets you some way. Um, how else could you do it? Well, you could look at the artifacts themselves and you could say, well, the, the shape of these arrowheads or the, the construction of these walls seems to match uh, things that are known from other eras. And again, you're, you're matching things relatively with respect to each other. But are there any techniques you could use scientifically to date in absolute terms to a particular year, the uh, or particular decade, say, the destruction of a city? One way that people um, have tried, which you may have heard of, is carbon dating. Uh, but that only works with uh, artifacts that contain carbon. <laughs> the point is that um, the uh, the two isotopes of carbon, carbon-12 and carbon-14, are found in a specific proportion in living things, things that contain carbon. And so things made out of such tissue, like wood or leather and so on, um, can be dated because the proportion of those isotopes changes over time. And by looking at the proportion in the final object after the biological thing is killed, like the animal or the tree, um, the, the, the proportion of those isotopes changes with time and you can figure out when the artifact was made. So if you can find something made of wood or leather or whatever, or human hair or something, then you can probably date it. But what happens if all you can find are burnt rocks and uh, rusted, burnt arrowheads because all the biological material is degraded, as is so common? Is there any way you can date the destruction and burning of cities that just have left rocks and metal remains? Well, the answer is you can. And it comes back to the magnetic properties of iron and of materials containing iron and other magnetic materials like nickel. Those of you who uh, remember your high school physics will remember that the Earth has a magnetic field. And the magnetic field of the Earth is actually created by convection currents of molten rock way, way below the surface of the Earth in the mantle. Basically, what you've got is rocks containing um, iron and nickel and other magnetic materials which move around under the Earth's crust and they sort of bubble up and then they go down as they cool and bubble up and go down. And that movement creates the Earth's magnetic field, which right now points, well, we call it north, magnetic north. Um, but what happens is that over time, the magnetic field of the Earth shifts as those um, magnetic field, as those convection currents shift. If you imagine looking at a, uh, a pot of slowly boiling soup, so a kind of thick, viscous liquid, you will see sort of bubbles rising up and, and some of the warmer liquid rising up in the middle, then moving down the outside. But those, the patterns by which the, the hot and slightly less hot liquid move are not completely uniform. They change over time. Well, so it is with the Earth's magnetic field. The movement of those molten rocks is not completely stable. And what that means is, actually right now, the direction of magnetic north 
is moving by about 45 kilometers every year. It's not that stable at all. The North Pole is in the same place, more or less. There are some issues with the rotation of the Earth, but more or less, let's say, that's in the same place. But the actual magnetic north is moving by a certain number of miles each year. And that has moved more slowly and more quickly at various times in the past. Um, and the movement of the magnetic North Pole can be tracked historically by looking at rocks that were formed, let's say, 100 or 500 or 1,000 or 1,500 or 2,000 years ago. Here's how it works. If you have a magnetic field, imagine you have a, a lump of molten rock, like from a volcano or bubbling up from the sea floor, and the, the rock contains some magnetic minerals like iron or uh, iron-containing compounds or it contains some nickel or something else. And the, the rock is molten and you allow it to cool in the presence of a magnetic field. Well, then the magnetization direction and intensity of that molten rock as it cools will be fixed to line up with the magnetization direction of the Earth's magnetic field at the point where it cools. So if you've got rocks cooling over a period of time, and we actually have this, for example, at the bottom of the ocean, that where tectonic plates are moving apart and new uh, solid rock is being created, at the bottom of the sea, um, what that means you can do is you can look at the rock that was uh, created at different points in the Earth's history, and you can look in its magnetization direction, and you can figure out on the assumption that the tectonic plates have been moving at some kind of predictable rate, which is, if not a completely rock-solid assumption, at least it's it's not some it, it, it's something that you can attach your uh, time scale to. There are questions about that, like there are questions about everything. But basically what that means is you can look at the rock that's created at different periods of time and you can tell which direction the Earth's magnetic field was in at that time. And it's not the same direction as it's in now. So the changing direction of the Earth's magnetic field gives you a kind of clock, allows you to see when something was formed, if it was formed by being cooled from a very high temperature and if it contained magnetic material, like some of the rocks from which the walls in the city of Gath were built, or like some of the iron arrowheads that were found scattered around there and other cities. Yeah, it turns out that the orientation of the Earth's magnetic field at the time that those cities were destroyed is recorded in the magnetization direction of those rocks and those iron arrowheads because when those cities were destroyed, they were burned. And what happens with uh, a hot metal object, like an arrowhead, let's say, is quite similar to what happens with cooling rock at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, when you heat a magnet up, or any magnetic material, you probably know this, again, from your high school physics, if you get a magnet and you heat it up and just let it cool, you, you more or less destroy its magnetization if it's a really strongly magnetized object. Well, you don't quite destroy it. What you do is all the magnetic um, little compasses, so to speak, inside all the ma magnetic uh, um, molecules inside the uh, rock, when, they, when the, the object is heated up, they all jiggle around and point in random directions. And as it cools, they all line up again with whatever magnetic field is present at the time. And if the only one that's present is the Earth's magnetic field, then that's the direction they'll line up. So it turns out 
you can date the destruction and the burning of these cities by looking at the magnetized, magnetization direction and magnetization intensity of the iron artifacts like arrowheads and the chunks of rock that were found there when they were dug up. Dug up. Uh, and the date of those uh, conflagrations, the fires that accompanied the destruction of those cities, lines up exactly with the biblical dating of Hazael, king of Syria, lines up exactly with that text in um, 2 Kings 8.12 and uh, confirms wonderfully the picture that we have of this brutal and violent king of Damascus who rampaged through Syria, much to Elisha's distress, uh, rampaged through Israel, much to Elisha's distress, destroying and burning as he went. So there you are. Turns out, once again, that careful and thoughtful and uh, accurate uh, measurements of scientific data confirm many thousands, many hundreds of years later, um, thousands of years later in this case, um, the historical picture that's depicted for us in the Bible. I'm actually really impressed with the work because you think of what you'd have to do in order to be able to uh, make these measurements accurately. You, you find an arrowhead um, on, you know, in, a, in a dig of this kind. You'd have to note not just where you found it. You'd have to note very carefully its actual orientation in the ground. And you'd have to note for all the different artifacts, exactly where, where they were found and where they, were, where they, um, where they lay. You'd, you'd have to reckon with the fact that some of them might have been disturbed, and so you'd get some uh, outliers where the, the, the orientation had been changed by later movement. But, but perhaps if you found a lot of things, and especially if you found some heavy things like you know, a 10-ton lump of iron-bearing rock, um, then you'd be able to say with some certainty that this thing was last heated up when the Earth's magnetic field pointed in such and such a direction, which means it happened in 702 BC and not at some other time. I think that's pretty impressive. Uh, and so hats off to the, um, the researchers who did it. Where do they publish this? This was in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which is a fairly prestigious journal. And what a place to find, uh, yet again, confirmation of the uh, historical reliability of the teaching of the scriptures, which combine all 66 books of them to testify of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate this Christmas. Merry Christmas to you all. God bless. Bye for now. See you soon.